Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you and a big shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles with Subtle Solution Media, helping to make this podcast possible. And we have yet another great episode in store. I'm excited to introduce founder and president of Schultz Wealth LTD, author of the book, Thoughts on Things Financial. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Rob Schultz to the podcast today. Hey, Rob. Hey, Ted. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to hop into a lot of the financial planning things that we can talk about and even some of the insights that's in your book that I must say I've never seen written in terms of financials before and kind of some of the planning aspects that you bring. So that's really exciting. But first, I want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience, share who you are, what you do, and then we can hop into the subject matter afterwards. Yeah, you bet, Ted. Again, it's Rob Schultz. I'm a certified financial planner here in the Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I've uh, been married to my wife, Shelly, for 31 years. We have four kids, grandbaby on the way. So I'm kind of in that stage where I have two of them are in college and two of them are out and graduated. So we're entering, entering kind of a, a new, we're in a transition stage right now. Let's just put it yeah. that way. It's really fun. Congratulations, uh, and we'll call it the golden years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I feel really old, but at the same time, it's just a whole lot of fun. So it's okay. Yeah. And yeah, I'm actually in Mansfield, Texas, which is a suburb of Fort Worth, and I've been real active here for a number of years. I've been a financial planner for 26, 27 years, something like that, for mm-hmm. so a long time, and really enjoyed it. It's been a really, really fun journey for me. You know, you're you're always learning, always stretching is what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm in my early 50s now, and I feel like I'm still not done. I'm still just having so much fun and trying to grow and and build and learn. And it's just been a been a great career. I've I've really enjoyed doing what I do. Yeah. And that's amazing that you put it that way. Keep learning, keep growing, because I mean, that's a lot of what this podcast is about is, you know, kind of stretching ourselves a little bit to find that discomfort, which provides the growth for us. And speaking of discomfort, early on in the book, and we've spoken about finances before here on No Rain, No Rainbows, because a lot of what kind of gives us stress in life, I mean, the the storms, it can be a lot of things, whether it's the loss of a family member, loss of a job, or just things coming down in our lives. But a lot of these storms can also be related to finances, which is why we talk about it so much here on the podcast. But one thing, unfortunately, not enough people do, and you mentioned in the book, is not enough people plan their finances and plan it appropriately. Why is it that folks avoid that whole process in the first place before even jumping into kind of plan for a rainy day? I don't know, but it really is a problem because if you don't know what it is that you're wanting to try to accomplish, it's kind of hard to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't put numbers to it, then it's just a dream, right? It's not really a plan. I think we just get busy. I think that's part of it. I think we just, man, we're just in life and we're just trying to keep above water sometimes, right? We just get busy. We don't think about it. I think other times, maybe we don't want to get help. You know, I think that's pretty common because, 
you know, it's not the most fun thing in the world to just disclose all your finances to a stranger, you know, and then there's the concern about what it can cost and all these kinds of things. So a lot of times we just don't get help with it. And it is complicated, you know, it's very complicated to be able to, you know, put together a whole series of complex cash flows that represent all the different goals that you have for your life from a financial standpoint. So it's hard to do it on your own effectively. I think those are some of the things that kind of keep people from being able to accomplish that. Yeah. We kind of avoid it and just keep procrastinating and pushing it down the line and kicking that can down the street. Like we'll get to it. And I think that's what I hear a lot of people say. Yeah. We'll get to it. (laughs) It it is a lot of things in our personal financial life are they're important, but they're not, we don't seem as urgent sometimes. So, you know, you think, well, I don't have to do that this week. Maybe I can do it next week. Right. Yeah. It's really, really important, you know, to have all these things in place. It's just that there are other things that come up that, seem to have more urgency to them, I guess you could say. And that's, yeah. um, I mean, that's just how we all live. So it's just hard, right? Yeah. And helping folks get the sense of urgency. And it's something that I have kind of had my eyes opened up to through, I mean, 401k. And when you really start seeing your savings account start to grow, and if you have a high yield savings account or things like that, you talk about it in the book, compounding interest. And it's a concept that when people fully understand it, I think they won't waste time anymore because the second that just went by was an opportunity to make money, not necessarily by you working, but by your money being in the right place. So talk about, I guess, compounding interest and why it's important to understand our goals, understand our plans financially as soon as possible so we can get the benefits of some of that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think you kind of touched on something that'll help us motivate sometimes. You know, a lot of times what keeps us from engaging in financial planning is we're stressed about it. So therefore, you know, we want to hide under a rock. But one way to maybe look at it is how exciting it can be, you know, to be able to achieve something amazing. And you can, you don't have to win the lottery. All you really have to do is have some good habits and maybe even automate them to where you're regularly putting some money away and investing it in something that's going to beat inflation over the long term. And then what happens is the magic of time value money, and I tell a whole story in the book about it, but really what people don't understand is that it's exponential, meaning that it it increases a very, very slowly at first. And I always tell young people, I'm like, I'm like look, you're going to do this for a long time and you're not going to see any results because you're going to be in that flat part of the curve. Okay. At the beginning. And there's some scary things can happen there because you see it. You're like, yeah, I've only got like $20,000 there and I really want a bass boat, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not going to hurt me. But the problem is to get to the back end of the curve where literally it just shoots straight up. I mean, when you really get some money invested at higher levels, it's amazing how much money that that money can make just like in a week. It's crazy. But to get there, you had to start somewhere, you know, you had to leave it there and let it continue to build and double over time. So it's a long-term play. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's habits. It's trying to be real intentional and automatic about it. It's all those things. And if you do that, 
you're going to be in great shape. But if you wait, none of that time, it works just the opposite too. If you didn't do anything, you don't get any of that magic. You just kind of stay in that little low curve area. You never oh, yeah. get out. And I guess to kind of prove your point, I have my vision board not too far from me. And I, I have Warren Buffett's net worth and it's compared to his age at age yes. 35. I think it was 7 million. And then even age 44, 11 million. So it doesn't go up by much, but yep. by 56, it's like, I think 1.4 billion. And then literally by 54 years later, it's doubled. So, <laughs> right. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a great example. I've used that before. Warren Buffett, he wasn't really that wealthy until, you know, from rel- those relative terms until, you know, he's about 50 years old. Yeah. And now <laughs> it's a crazy. It's yeah. just crazy. That's a and great the, example. The thing for folks who are holding off, because I know a lot of our listeners, we have some of our listeners in their 30s, their 40s. Some mm-hmm. of our listeners are in their 20s. And I hear a lot of people talk about, well, I'm too young to invest. Or I don't have enough money to invest. I mean, how much money do you need to start investing? Do you need thousands of dollars? Do you need this big lump sum? Or can you start off on a small scale and then work your way up? Oh, no question. I think you have to start on a small... I mean, you just have to start wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard. It used to be harder than it is now. You know, the hard part is getting started. And I think it's real important to have a cash reserve before you really start investing because that protects your investment. That means that emergencies and opportunities come up. You're not rating your long-term investments. You're using you know, your cash that you have on hand. So that's always the first step that I tell people is get their cash in line. Second of all, you can use, you know, technology is amazing. It's, it's made my life a lot easier. It's made me much more effective as a financial planner. And it's helped people that are just getting started I mean, everybody's heard of Robinhood. That's one way to do it, to go, you know, buy GameStop stock or whatever. <laughs> but I really like Betterment, which is more of a full allocation that you can go into. It's a great tool. Just sign up on your smartphone and, you know, put $50. I, I don't know what the minimum is. It, I don't think it's hardly anything, like 50 or 100 bucks, and yeah. just sign up for an automatic. It'll get allocated. You, know, you don't have to be an expert investor or anything like that. They'll put you in a portfolio mm-hmm. and just start. You know, That's what you have to do. You mentioned early on the good money habits that we can adopt. And you know, a lot of it sometimes comes at a young age. I'd love to get insight on what your experience was like with money at a young age and how that helped pay dividends down the line, pun intended, not just from yeah. stocks, but really from quality of life and the choices you had as time went on and the benefits of taking action early started to play out. Yeah, you bet. And, you know, I can say that I've made some really good, just like everybody, I've made some really good decisions with money and I've made some really bad decisions with money. You know, just because I'm supposed to be an expert doesn't mean I'm not human. Yeah. But I will say that I started investing automatically very early on in many different ways, just because I liked it. You know, it was interesting to me and I don't know. I just, it's, I don't know, but I just did. And one was really funny, and it's in the book too, where I talk about these crazy series double E savings bonds, you know, and I think it's still the case, but if you're in the military, you have the option to have to buy savings bonds. You know, it's kind of a 
patriotic thing or something. I don't know. But then they'll deduct them out of your check. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I did that. And they were deducting a very small amount out of my really small checks. And I forgot about it. Okay. And that's an important thing to remember. Okay. I just flat out forgot that it was coming out. I forgot it was there, you know, and then I resigned my commission in the Navy and I'm looking for a house. I'm like, man, these houses are expensive. They weren't as expensive as they are now, but they felt like it. And kind of come up with a down payment. You know, how am I going to do this? And just like on cue from uh, Bupers from the Navy, a big giant stack of these double E savings bonds came in the mail. Hmm. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> so all that saving allowed me to have money to be able to put down enough of a down payment where I didn't have mortgage interest. That was a huge deal yeah. you know, at a very young age. And, you know, series double E bonds are a terrible investment. Okay. They don't make anything. They barely make anything above the inflation rate, if at all. But that wasn't what made it work. What made it work, it was as automatic. I forgot about it. I wasn't having to make a decision about it. And it just stacked up. Just imagine how much it would have been if I had actually invested it properly. It would have been yeah. even more. I've said this to my friends. I've said it to my fiance of getting the habit of putting money places where I can find it later. Yeah. And the, the fact it. of the matter is I'm working a job and they offer benefits where it could, you know, increase my 401k contribution or stock options or, you know, pension. If, if you're lucky enough to find a job that still offers that, whatever it might be, it's, you know what? Yeah. I'm always willing to take less money up front to find money later because I'm going to have a, a habit of a lifestyle based on the money that I'm making. And a lot of us do that. If we make $10,000 a year, we're going to live on a $10,000 a year lifestyle. If we make $50,000 a year, we live on a $50,000 a year lifestyle. And as we elevate yeah. our lifestyle to the money we make, if we're not consciously <laughs> putting money aside, this is how I feel. It's, it's just, hey, we're not setting ourselves up for success. One thing you also mentioned in the book, and I love the way you put it about the truth about managing debt and cash flow. Because there's a lot of people who talk to or they, they prescribe to different theories or they've read different books, maybe the Dave Ramsey or whatnot, where it's like, no, 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 don't touch debt. What are the benefits of debt and how can you properly manage that? Yeah, I think if you talk, most financial planners that you know are in the business for it, not just on radio and stuff, really recognize, especially if you work with business owners like I do, really recognize the importance of debt as a tool. Okay. It's a tool. It's not always a bad thing. Okay. And really the biggest difference is, is that if you're using, if you're using debt as leverage, which means that you're borrowing money to go do something that will potentially make you a higher return than what your interest rate is, that's called leverage. That's using somebody else's money to make money. And that's awesome. Okay. That's what savvy business people do all the time. Okay. So for consumers or people that may not be business owners to just be drilled into their brain that debt's bad, debt's bad, debt's bad. I mean, just kind of keeps them in that place, you know, where there are so many folks that are able to use it smartly and be able to 
vastly accelerate their success Mm -hmm. by using it smartly. But we're human and debt is consumer debt, especially is just prevalent. It's very, very available. And if we use it for the wrong things, then all we're really doing is just sinking the ship, right? So you just have to be real careful with it. It can accelerate you and get you someplace faster as long as you use it smartly, but it can get you to nowhere if you don't use it smart. I mean, yeah. that's that's really all there is to it. Yeah, helping people understand there's, you know, you, you have your liabilities, you have your assets and, you know, understanding yeah. liquidity too is, you know, how much can you leverage based on what you own versus what you're borrowing. And I think that all kind of comes together, which is the nuances of it is something that I don't know, which is why it's important to have a financial planner to help you navigate that for someone who's kind of like yourself, dedicated their lives to learning this to help others execute effectively. Speaking of executing effectively or whatnot, I love about the true measure of credit score because something I know a lot of college kids get, my first credit card. Why? Because I got to build credit. I got to build credit. What does credit score actually measure? Because I don't even know if I've actually dived into that with any of my financial buddies on like, what is credit score actually measuring? In my opinion, I think a credit score basically just measures how good of a target you are for credit cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, the higher it is, the better target you are. I, I really do. You know, granted, you know, you need to have, you know, good credit to be able to get a competitive interest rate on something like a car or a house and things like that. That's not hard. You just pay your stuff on time you know, and that it's no big deal. But a lot of people really strive for that really high credit score just out of, I don't know, just being competitive or something. I don't, I don't know why. Ego. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't do anything for you. I mean, it just makes you a better target. And, you know, kids that start out really too young, you know, going and getting a credit card and have not, you know, been trained on how to properly use it, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think the credit card companies know that. And I don't think that kids need to go do that. You know, yeah. I think rather there's some tools. I think I put them in the book where you can go and get like a bank loan, maybe for a thousand dollars, take the thousand dollars, putting it in an account at the bank, and then set up an automatic pull from that account over to the loan that you have. And then step away, let it pay, you know, over 18 months, something like that. And boom, you've got something. If you didn't have anything on your credit, now you have a positive thing on your credit. You're good. You don't have to go get a Visa card or anything like that. Yeah. And that's a great shortcut for a lot of folks listening to use because, or even parents that think they have to issue and co-sign a credit card for their kids, they can say, hey, this might be more of an effective way and also probably avoid, I guess, the pitfalls that can happen with being a co-signer and both credit scores being impacted by that. Yeah. Now, I'm not a big fan of co-signing or anything like that. I mean, certainly there's circumstances where that would make sense, you know, trying to get your kids someplace, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, I don't think it's necessary. Let's talk about 
planning for chaos, unforeseen expenses. Mm. And we know a lot of people, if they don't have their goals, if they don't know where they're going, they won't be able to plan accordingly for that. But if they're not planning for the goals and what they want, at the very least, at the very minimum, planning for those unforeseen expenses that are sure to show up in our lives, especially as we get older, we acquire more things. We're going to be surrounded by more, what I would call liabilities that can kind of pop out of nowhere and, and cost us some money. How do we appropriately project what to put aside for that or even project what to, I guess, hold on to versus invest? Yeah, you bet. That's a very, very important part of anybody's you know financial plan is you know how much cash you plan to have. And it's something we look at with our clients constantly. I mean, every six months when they come in, we're looking, how much cash do you have? How much cash do you have? That's not enough. That's too much, you know, and there's not a right or wrong answer for everybody, but you kind of get a feel you, you live life long enough and you get to the point to where you've had a couple of hiccups and you start to get a feel for, you know, what a comfortable level of cash is. And for some people it's high, some people it's low. Generally, let's call it, if you have nothing, try to get to three months worth of expenses from three, try to get to six months worth of expenses. So if it costs you, you know, $5,000 to live, you know, then you want to have $30,000, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you start hitting what I call high water, low water marks, you know, think of a bucket. And so you're not shooting for like one number, but you're like $30,000. That's about as low as I want to get, let's say, but what's too much. Often, way too often, we don't ask that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's too much cash? Well, if you have too much cash, that means you have you have dry powder that you're not using, you know, towards your long-term goals. And it's just gonna sit there and get eroded by inflation because it's not gonna make anything in the bank. Mm-hmm. So you can have way too much cash. And actually, we see a lot of people with way too much much cash these days. Mm-hmm. And so maybe fifty thousand is too much. So now you have a system where you'll let it float in between those based upon emergencies and opportunities that come up. But if it gets up above 50 to 55, 60, you're going to pull some of it off the top of the bucket and you're going to move it over to your investments to just try to keep that, that cash in that range. And you live long enough, you know why you have that cash there. Okay. So I, I don't know if I have to go over that too much, but, uh, if you haven't experienced some situations where you need cash, you will. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have the cash, what are you going to do? You're going to burn up a credit card. You're going to pull it out of your 401k and get taxed and penalized on it. You know, you're going to try to get that money somehow to take care of what's going on and it's going to sink you. It's not going to be any good for you. Whereas if you have the cash, it's no big deal. Yeah. You got to set it up because, I mean, we say here on the podcast, when it comes to storms with no rain, no rainbows, you're either in a storm, just left one, or you're heading towards one. So. Oh, for sure. No <laughs> gotta, question. I, always, I feel it. like that. I really do. I'm like, <laughs> always. Oh, oh, no, it's way too good right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, Watch out. I think you set up a good foundation. You probably set up a good parachute as well. So, you know, you have all these things in place. 
that's something that's helpful in terms of building that comfort in our everyday lives. You know, there's, I can say as someone, you know, on this podcast who I don't even think I've said it on the podcast before, but you know, I've been 10 plus thousand dollars in debt with mounting student loans on top of me and a salary that was just paying enough of the minimum credit cards while I'm trying to get by and make my bills to being able to kind of pull myself out of that with some of the habits that I've established, you know, it's a different quality of life you live when you know you can handle your tire going flat and having to buy a $100 tire or having a $1,000 problem versus when you know that's probably going to put you out for a little bit. So quality of life is something to think about. Also something to think about, which I love you put this in your book because I've read a number of financial books, and I don't think I've ever seen this in a book before talking about finances. We talk about planning for a rainy day, unforeseen circumstances, but I love how, and sure, there was a story around it if you want to share that as well, but the importance of planning for our own death and what that means to the people that we leave behind. Oh, for sure. It's, yeah, it's something none of us want to talk about. We don't (laughs) want to think about it. We sure as heck don't want to plan on it, right? Yeah. But it's so important. And of course, we deal with it all the time, you know, with clients, you know, either with our clients or their parents or, you know, I mean, we're all going to die. 100% probability that we're all going to die. And we aren't going to have a lot of control about how or when. So that makes it an interesting problem. So, and I talk about it a couple of times because it's so important. But the main thing is make sure you have some life insurance. Oh my gosh. It's so easy these days to have life insurance. And you know, I find that clients a lot of times will put that off. A lot of times they put it off because they get really confused. I mean, you think investments are complicated. You get a life insurance agent talking about whole life, universal life term and all that. And it'll just absolutely make your head spin. And, you know, a lot of times their intentions is to make the most commission, right? So you may not necessarily get a full answer on what the differences are. We go through all that in the book. So you can really just see each one of them has advantages and disadvantages, but term life insurance is so cheap and so easy to get that if you have a family, you have no reason not to own like a decent amount of that stuff. Okay. I mean, no reason at all. Unless, of course, you have some medical conditions that makes it tough. But if you're healthy, just go go get some term insurance, 10, 20, 30 year term, meaning it'll be enforced as long as you pay the premium over that period of time and just go do it. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, I've seen families where, well, my own family for sure, when my dad died, he didn't have any life insurance. It was a disaster. So, you have to go and do that. <laughs> yeah. And I know in the book, you mentioned about the assets as well and, and managing where they go, what happens with them. And, you know, it's one thing having to handle the finances after someone's gone, but the things that they leave behind, you know, what do you do with that? Where does it go? Yeah. And we go into detail in the book there. You know, I tried to make the book as, you know, broad stroke as possible, but there are certain areas where I had to kind of get in the weeds. That was one. Because you just do have to understand that there are a lot of expenses associated with dying. And there are a lot of problems that can create for your spouse and your family without your income being there. So you really do have to think about those things, about the mortgage, 
about your kids' college, about, you know, your spouse's retirement, all those things have to be thought through to make sure that there's money for that because, you know, it's hard to pay for college as a single parent, okay? Really hard. It's hard to save for retirement. It's hard to do a lot of things when you're a single parent. You've, you know, it's your responsibility to make sure that your family's taken care of if something happens to you, bottom line. Yeah, no, absolutely. And with that, one of my closing questions is about managing risk. And, you know, if risk is necessary when it comes to our financial planning, and if so, how much of it should we take on? Yes. So risk is necessary to a certain level. You don't have to take an inordinate amount of risk, but you do have to take some risk. Living has risk. Okay. I mean, Everything we do has risk reward associated with it. It's no different here. And the simple answer is, is that your money really does have to make more than the inflation rate. Okay. So everything gets more expensive every year. This year, more than most. We have more inflation now than we've had in quite some time. So that means that you have to put your money to enough risk to where you can outperform inflation. And that's what allows your money to grow and rewards you, okay, for deciding not to spend it now, but instead to let it grow and spend it later because later it'll be so much more, you know, so much more valuable that it made perfect sense to do that. Yeah. But, you know, you're not, I mean, you don't have to put it all in Bitcoin or anything like that. I mean, you just do it smart. You, you create a, an investment allocation. And it doesn't have to be like super fancy or anything, but it just needs to be at risk to a certain level. Yeah. If you're not rolling the dice, you can't hit all sixes, right? (laughs) No, you can't. I mean, we take risk in life everywhere to try to achieve as much as we can, right? I mean, that's what we're doing. And your money is no different than the risk that you take within your career, within, you know, everything you do, you're trying to... I mean, I think if you're really living life right, you're trying to stretch a little bit and trying to achieve achieve as much as you can. Yeah. Do the same thing with your money. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast, I guarantee you're in that same mindset as well in terms of stretching and getting to that next level. And for folks who are uncertain about what we mean when we say outpace inflation, you might say, okay, what's inflation? My best way to describe it is you remember when milk was a nickel? And now it's 250. <laughs> right. That's yeah. inflation. It's the spending power your money has depletes over time. So when a bag of chips was 50 cents and I, and I was in high school, it's now a dollar, a dollar fifty. So the the hundred dollars you had 17 years ago is now gonna buy you half of what it did of what it used to. So yeah, that's when why I was you in to grow it. When I was in college, I could go get five dollars worth of food for lunch, and it was an insane amount of food. Hmm. right? A Taco Bell or something like that. Just crazy. Yeah. You know, now I can spend $10 on lunch and it's just a normal lunch at this point. That's one example. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it is so important to 
hop into that planning process as soon as possible. Rob, I want to make sure before we wrap this up that we give folks the opportunity to reach out to you, get the book, or even use your services if they need help in terms of navigating their finances. Maybe some of our listeners have their business and they're not sure how to allocate the funds as it grows. I'd love for them to have an opportunity to connect. What are some links or some areas they can find that book and maybe get in touch with you? Yeah, Ted, I appreciate that. The book is, again, called Thoughts on Things Financial. You can get it on Amazon, anywhere where you can buy books, really. It's very available. You can also go to my website, which is schultzwealth.com. And it's very easy to buy the book there as well as there are other resources there as well. I, I write a regular blog on all this kind of stuff and you can peruse through that. And I'm available to talk to anybody. I talk to people all the time. Not necessarily people that become clients, but just people that you know feel like they need to need to talk, and that is no problem. I'm I'm available for that. You can just schedule time on the phone on the website. You can also go to my Facebook group that's called Thoughts on Things Financial, and ask to be entered into the group. It's a closed group. It's a safe place to talk about this stuff, and. We try to put information in there as well as I make myself available via messaging and all that Facebook stuff yeah. uh, through there. So, so yeah, that's how to get in touch with me. No, excellent. And I'll have those links uh, in the show notes as well for folks that are on the iTunes app or in, in Spotify, wherever they're listening, they can open up those show notes, click those links and, and get referred right to those destinations. I appreciate you taking the time sharing with us today, helping educate us on the importance of financial planning. Some of the myths that we might've been kind of told along the way and help debunk some of the, I guess, limiting beliefs we might've had around money in the first place. So Rob, this is extremely valuable. And I know some of our listeners are probably looking forward to hopping into their financial plans now moving forward. That sounds great. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And I'm going to run down some of the points you made along the episode just to make sure that our listeners got it and they didn't miss a beat. And first thing is, uh, if you haven't put numbers to it, is it really a goal? A lot of folks talk about, oh, I want to live this life. Or we hear a lot of people say, I just want to be financially free. Well, what's that number? Yeah. A lot of people could say financially free, but they don't know what the number is, what that lifestyle looks like. I know what my number is, but everyone's number is different because your desires are different and your goals are different as well. You have to start wherever you are. So many people tell me they don't have enough money to invest. They're not rich or they don't have thousands of dollars. You don't need thousands of dollars. As Rob mentioned, you can start with something as small as 50 or even with the Robinhood app, making it so accessible. You can start with $5 and start investing it. Might not be much and it's probably going to grow slow, but continue to allocate, continue to make those decisions and those habits, and you'll be surprised at where it can take you down the line. And the higher it is, the more of a target when we talk about credit score. I'm one of those who was chasing the highest credit score, trying to chase the credit score and to the point of avoiding debt because you want your credit score to be as high as possible. But when you know the reality of debt and how to responsibly take debt on, use it as leverage and make more with that debt than you pay in the interest, that's when you really start playing the game at a different level and you're planning your finances more effectively. And usually that's when you have someone that has your back. And of course, you want to have those habits as well. And how much cash is too much? I've heard the whole, okay, six to 12 months, have that saved up. But at some point in time, 
you could have too much cash. And when you have too much cash, you're doing yourself more of a disservice than an actual service and actually building. And then take enough risk to outperform inflation. That's the main goal here. Make sure that your money is working for you. Make sure it's growing, not losing value. And hopefully when you're blessed enough to be welcoming a grandchild and having the kids coming out of college, you can look at the best years of your life ahead of you, not behind you. Uh, Rob, thank you one more time for being on. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Great summary. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate that. And to the listeners, if you guys enjoyed the episode, thanks for making it to the end. And we really would appreciate you sharing this with someone if you got value. You probably know somebody that needs to hear this. Go ahead and just just slide it into their DMs. Give it to them nonchalantly in an email. We appreciate you spreading the word. It's the best compliment you can give us. And if you really did enjoy the episode, please hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button. You can get an episode every single week as we put them out. And of course, be sure to leave us a rating and let us know how we're doing. Give us a thumbs up if we're helping out. If not, tell us where we can improve. It's the only way we can get better. And of course, you can support the podcast financially if you love it so much by checking out our Patreon page where you can hear a little extra audio content from our guests and some insights behind the scenes audio as we have a little bit more fun there, but also still continue to deliver and pack value. If you made it to the end of the episode, thank you so much. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.